Section 38 of the Celtic Twilight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Celtic Twilight by William Butler Yeats. The Friends of the People of Fairy. Those that see the people of Fairy most often, and so have most of their wisdom, are often very poor. But often, too, they are thought to have a strength beyond that of man, as though one came, when one had passed the threshold of trance, to those sweet waters where Muldoon saw the disheveled eagles bathe and become young again. There was an old Martin Rowland who lived near a bog, a little out of Gort, who saw them often in his young days, and always toward the end of his life, though I would hardly call him their friend. He told me a few months before his death that they would not let him sleep at night, with crying things at him in Irish, and with playing their pipes. He had asked a friend of his what he should do, and the friend had told him to buy a flute and play on it when they began to shout or to play their pipes, and maybe they would give up annoying him. And he did, and they always went out into the field when he began to play. He showed me the pipe and blew through it, and made a noise, but he did not know how to play and then he showed me where he had pulled his chimney down, because one of them used to sit up on it and play on the pipes. A friend of his and mine went to see him a little time ago, for she heard that three of them had told him he was going to die. He said they had gone away after warning him, and that the children, children they had taken, I suppose, who used to come with them and play about the house with them, had gone to some other place because they found the house too cold for them, maybe, and he died a week after he had said these things. His neighbors were not certain that he really saw anything in his old age, but they were all certain that he saw things when he was a young man. His brother said, Old he is, and it's all in his brain the things he sees. But if he was a young man, we might believe in him. But he was improvident and never got on with his brothers. A neighbor said, The poor man. They say they are mostly in his head now, but sure he was a fine fresh man twenty years ago the night he saw them linked in two lots, like young slips of girls walking together. It was the night they took away Fallon's little girl, and she told how Fallon's little girl had met a woman with red hair that was bright as silver, who took her away. Another neighbor, who was herself clouded over the ear by one of them for going into a fort where they were, said, I believe it's mostly in his head they are. When he stood against the door last night, I said, The wind does be always in my ears, and the sound of it never stops, to make him think that it was the same with him. But he says, I hear them singing and making music all the time, and one of them is after bringing out a little flute, and it's on it he is playing to them. And this I know, that when he pulled down the chimney where he said the piper used to be sitting and playing, he lifted up stones, and he, an old man, that I could hardly have lifted when I was young and strong. A friend sent me from Ulster an account of one who was on terms of true friendship with the people of Fairy. It has been taken down accurately, for my friend, who heard the old woman's story some time before I heard of it, got her to tell it over again, and she wrote it out at once. She began by telling the old woman that she did not like being in the house alone because of the ghosts and fairies. The old woman said, there's nothing to be frightened about in fairies, miss. Many's the time I talked to a woman myself that was a fairy, or something of the sort. 
and no less and more than mortal anyhow, she used to come about your father's house, your mother's grandfather, that is, in my young days. But you'll have heard all about her. My friend said that she had heard about her, but a long time before, and she wanted to hear about her again. And the old woman went on. Well, dear, the very first time I ever heard word of her coming about was when your uncle, that's your mother's uncle, Joseph, married, and building a house for his wife, for he brought her first to his father's, up at the house by the loch. My father and us were living nigh to hand to where the new house was to be built, to overlook the men at their work. My father was a weaver, and brought his looms and all there into a cottage that was close by. The foundations were marked out, and the building stones lying about, but the masons had not come yet. And one day I was standing with my mother, foreign the house, when we see a smart wee woman coming up the field over the burn to us. I was a bit of a girl at the time, playing about and sporting myself, but I mind her as well as if I saw her there now. My friend asked how the woman was dressed. The old woman said, It was a gray cloak she had on, with a green cashmere skirt, and a black silk handkerchief tied around her head, like the countrywoman did used to wear in them times. My friend asked, How wee was she? And the old woman said, Well, now. She weren't wee at all, when I think on it, for all we called her the wee woman. She was bigger than many a one, and yet not as tall as you would say. She was like a woman about thirty, brown-haired and round in the face. She was like Miss Betty, your grandmother's sister, and Betty was like none of the rest, not like your grandmother nor any of them. She was round and fresh in the face, and she never was married, and she never would take any man. We used to say that the wee woman her being like Betty, was maybe one of their own people that had been took off before she grew to her full height, and for that she was always following us and warning and foretelling. This time she walked straight over to where my mother was standing. Go to the lock this minute, ordering her like that. Go over to the lock and tell Joseph that he must change the foundation of this house to where I'll show you for the thorn bush. That's where it is to be built, if he is to have any luck and prosperity. So do what I'm telling you this minute. The house was being built on the path, I suppose, the path used by the people of fairy in their journeys, and my mother brings Joseph down and shows him, and he changes the foundation the way he was bid, but didn't bring it exactly to where it was pointed, and the end of that was, when he come to the house, his own wife lost her life in an accident that come to a horse that hadn't room to turn right with a harrow between the bush and the wall. The wee woman was queer and angry when next she come, and she says to us, He didn't do as I bid him, but he'll see what he'll see. My friend asked where the woman came from this time, and if she was dressed as before. And the woman said, Always the same way, up the field beyond the burn. It was a thin sort of shawl she had about her in summer, and a cloak about her in winter. And many and many a time she came, and always it was good advice she was given to my mother, and warning her what not to do if she would have good luck. There was none of the other children of us ever seen her unless me, but I used to be glad when I see her coming up the burn, and would run out and catch her by the hand in the cloak, and call to my mother, Here's the wee woman! No man-body has ever seen her. My father used to be wanting to, and was angry with my mother and me, thinking we were telling lies and talking foolish-like. So one day, when she had come and was sitting by the fireside talking to my mother, I slips out into the field where he was digging. Come up, says I, if you want to see her. 
She's sitting at the fireside now, talking to mother. So when he comes with me, and looks round, angry-like, and sees nothing, and he up with a broom that was near at hand, and hits me a crig with it. Take that now, says he, for making a fool of me, and away with him as fast as he could, and queer and angry with me. The wee woman says to me then, You got that now for bringing people to see me. No man-body ever seen me, and none ever will. There was one day, though, she gave him a queer fright anyway, and whether he had seen her or not, he was in among the cattle when it happened, and he comes up to the house all trembling-like. Don't let me hear you say another word of your wee woman. I've got enough of her this time. Another time, all the same, he was up to Gordon to sell horses. And before he went off, in steps the wee woman, and says she to my mother, holding out a sort of weed, Your man has gone up by Gordon, and there's a bad fright waiting him coming home. But take this, and sew it in his coat, and he'll get no harm by it. My mother takes the herb, but thinks to herself, Sure there's nothing in it, and throws it on the floor. And lo and behold, and sure enough, coming home from Gordon, my father got as bad a fright as ever he got in his life. What it was, I don't write mine, but anyway, he was badly damaged by it. My mother was in a queer way, frightened of the wee woman, after what she'd done. And sure enough, the next time she was angry, You didn't believe me, she said, and you threw the herb down I gave you in the fire, and I went far enough for it. There was another time she came and told him how William Hearn was dead in America. Go over, she said, to the loch, and say that William is dead, and he died happy, and this was the last Bible chapter ever he read, and with that she gave the verse and chapter. Go, she says, and tell them to read them at the next class meeting, and that I held his head while he died. And sure enough, word came after how William had died on the day she named, and by doing as she bid about the chapter in him, they never had such a prayer meeting as that. One day she and me and my mother was standing talking, and she was warning her about something when she says all of a sudden, Here comes Miss Letty and all her finery, and it's time for me to be off. And with that she gave a swirl round on her feet, rises up in the air, and round and round she goes, and up and up, as if it was a winding stair she went up, only far swifter. She went up and up till she was no bigger than a bird against the clouds singing and singing the whole time the loveliest music i ever heard in my life from that day to this it wasn't the hymn she was singing but poetry lovely poetry of me and my mother stands gaping up and all a-tremble what is she at all mother says i is it an angel she is or a fairy woman or what with that up come miss letty that was your grandmother dear but miss letty she was then and no word of her being anything else and she wondered to see us gaping up that way till me and my mother told her of it. She went on gay dress then, and was lovely-looking. She was up the lane, where none of us could see her coming forward, when the wee woman rose up in that queer way, saying, Here comes Miss Letty in all her finery. Who knows to what far country she went, or to see whom dying? It was never after dark when she came, but daylight always, as far as I mind, but once, and that was on Hallow's Eve night. My mother was by the fire, making ready the supper. She had a duck down and some apples. In slips the wee woman. I'm come to pass my hallow eve with you, says she. That's right, says my mother, and thinks to herself, I can give her her supper nicely. Down she sits by the fire a while. Now, I'll tell you where you'll bring my supper, says she. In the room beyond there, beside the loom, set a chair in and a plate. When you're spending the night, mayn't you as well sit by the table and eat with the rest of us? 
Do what you're bid, and set whatever you give me in the room beyond. I'll eat there and nowhere else. So my mother sets her a plate of duck and some apples, whatever was going, in where she bid, and we got to our supper and she to hers. And when we rose, I went in, and there, lo and behold ye, was her supper plate, a bit ate of each portion, and she clean gone. End of the Friends of the People of Fairy Recording by Max Wainer